If you're visiting for the first time, I just want to say welcome. We're really glad that you've come today. And I'd encourage you to just pull out your outlines as we continue in uh, the second installment in our series, Your Life Counts. And today we're going to talk about the greatest force on earth. Last week, as Mandy mentioned, we were encouraged to have Eric Withers, and he talked about, if you were here, remembering making God's kingdom and his interests and his purposes, he was encouraging us to put them first, not our interests, not our hobbies, not our relationships or careers. In other words, not our kingdom first. But to actually put God's kingdom first. That's what he was doing last week. And his things. Now, if you are a Christian today, and some of you are realized or not, some of you are still considering the claims of Christ, but if you are a Christian, you represent Christ when you represent his concerns. You don't represent Christ if you don't represent his concerns. Actually, the Bible calls us ambassadors of Christ. And an ambassador always promotes the values and the interests of the kingdom that he belongs to. And as a Christian, if you are a Christian today... Take particular note of this message because this is addressed to his ambassadors specifically. So when you represent Christ, you represent his concerns, you will represent his priorities. His priorities will trump, that's a card playing term, our own interests. His concerns and interests are paramount. Now, one of the most common descriptions of the church in the Bible is the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Now what Jesus did, and that's instructive, because what Jesus did whilst he was on here um, in the flesh, on the earth, in the flesh, what he did whilst he was on here, on the earth, in his physical body, he wants us to continue in his spiritual body. That way we're in harmony with his interests and his purposes. Now, As we move towards the introduction, two weeks ago I introduced to you the concept of the peace plan, which is really nothing more than Jesus' plan. If you want to think, somebody says, what's the peace plan about? It's about doing what Jesus did whilst he was on earth. In the same way he did that, we're to do the same thing. That's it. And I gave you a simple definition a couple of weeks ago, and that was this. Ordinary people, you and me, empowered by God to make a difference together, not by yourself. Together, making a difference together wherever they are. Personally, maybe, in your own neighborhood. In your own family even, maybe. So it's personally, locally, like some of our youth were doing last night. Handing out blankets and helping some of the homeless in our city. That's locally. And then maybe, maybe even God has called you to do something globally. Yes, you, Graham, in your job and where you are. And some of you sitting here. God has a plan for you locally, personally, first of all, locally, but also globally. We're going to look at that today. Now, I want to make a couple of observations to set this up. Dr. Mel Strymbron. That's a name, isn't it? Wow, Strymbron. His speciality is training men and women, laymen and women, to do pastoral ministry. And he said something very insightful 
Listen carefully to this, what he said. He said, the first reformation was about giving the Bible back to the people. That was the first one. That's the first one. The second reformation, which is happening now all over the world, is now giving the ministry back to the people. You see, as a pastor, my, part of my role is to encourage you as members to get on mission with your life. Not your mission. This is not what this is about. This is getting on Jesus' mission with a few short years that you and I have. And so with everything within me this morning, I'm going to try my best to give you a bit of an idea of why and what this is all about. Let me put it in a sentence. Every healthy Christian, anybody want to be a sick Christian? Weak, flabby Christian? No. All of us want to be healthy Christians. You need two things for that to be true. Two things as a Christian. Every Christian needs a ministry in God's church. This isn't even on your outline, but you just want to take the sentence. And also a mission in the world. Every healthy Christian needs a ministry in God's church. Why? Because it's his body. Our job is to build her up and a mission in the world. So by observing, coming back round to this now, what Jesus actually did when he was walking here on the earth in the physical flesh, in his physical body, it shows us what he wants us to do in his spiritual, as his spiritual body. Get the, get the parallel? So, let's wind the clock back and take a look at what Jesus encountered physically when he was walking on this earth. Five giant problems that he encountered on his time on earth that we also will see today. Here's the first one. The greatest giant that Jesus came to slay is this thing called spiritual emptiness. Disconnection from God. Without God, where people are spiritually dead. Empty. Completely empty. Billions of people today live without hope. Their lives are hopeless. They don't know, for example, that God loves them. And that we can actually know God and enjoy a relationship with him. They don't know that they were actually planned before the earth was formed and that God wanted them. There were no accident. They're not just a fluke of meaningless, we're not just a bunch of um, chemi chemicals in motion or dancing to our own DNA. Purely materialist? Not at all. They don't know that God came to earth in Jesus and died so that their past can be forgiven. So that we can have a purpose, therefore, for living and eventually we'll also have a home in heaven. They don't know these people, these billions of people, that they were made to last forever. Hang on. Whoa. Rewind. They were made to last forever. This isn't all there is. If you think there is, that's what explains some of the aberrant behavior you see today. In other words, this life is preparation. These people don't know that this life is preparation for eternity. And that is trillions of years. They don't know that. So one of the giants is spiritual emptiness. And in the next 365 days, 55 million people will die in this world. Most of them 
will enter eternity without a knowledge of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven. That, my friends, is hopeless. This sense of spiritual emptiness around the world is the number one problem because people don't have any idea of their origin. Where did they come from? There are five consequential questions in life. Without God, you can't answer any of them. First one is the question of origin. Where have I come from? Second question, without God, they can't know their identity, who I am. You see, I, you, if you're a Christian today, gain your identity in God, who I am. Third, why am I even here? What's the meaning of life? You can't answer that without God. It's impossible. Why am I here? Fourth, very poignant right now. How should I live? That's all about morality. And then fifthly, after I've done my living, where am I going? Is there anything else? If there's no God, there ain't. Nada. If there is, there that's, that changes the whole game. I guess it's all summed up in this scripture in Ecclesiastes 1. Everything is meaningless. Utterly meaningless. What do people do and get for all their kind of hard work? This, um, this is found in Ecclesiastes 1. Generations come and go, but nothing really changes. Everything's so weary and tiresome. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. There's a sense of hopelessness, no hope. Now the second big problem that was very obvious when Jesus was walking this earth, and you may have seen this too, and it's the problem of egocentric leadership. Egocentric leaders. This may surprise you, but that problem right there, because, and that's found because of the first one, spiritual emptiness ends up with egocentric leaders. And it's the root cause of all the other problems. There's a severe scarcity of ethical, authentic servant leaders in this world. Instead, our world is filled with self-serving selfish leaders who put their own desires ahead of the people's desires and the welfare of others. These people may start off well. They may start off as servants, but they end up being celebrities. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but there are little Saddams everywhere. Maybe some of you, you've got some Saddams at your work. Think they own the place. They boss people around. They're mean there's dogs. Maybe you've seen some of those guys, huh? You'll see them in government. Leaders who start off saying, oh yeah, vote for us and we'll take care of you. And what do they end up doing? Squishling the system to feather their own nests. You see it in education. You'll even see it in homeowners associations. <laughs> Give somebody a little bit of power and it goes to their heads. In many places, you'll see corruption, you'll see dishonesty, selfishness, and greedy leaders. And I want to make an observation that that type of mentality keeps people stuck in poverty, 
and the literacy and diseased. The world desperately needs godly leaders who have the compassion, the courage, and the conviction to make a difference. The Bible says in the Proverbs eleven fourteen, without wise leadership, a nation falls. The third global giant is poverty. Now, when you've got crooks at the top, they fleece everybody for themselves, right? You send in aid, and what do they do? They grab the aid and flog it off, or they stockpile it themselves. Poverty keeps billions stuck and mired in miserable, hopeless living conditions. Just under, and I checked these facts, in fact, this week. Just under a billion people, that's a big number, live on less than two bucks a day. It's a challenge. In fact, a few years ago, we did uh, living on below the poverty line. That was about, how much was it now? 225 a day. That's a great challenge. I'd love to do it again, actually. So if anybody's king. (laughs) Barely surviving, a billion people, barely surviving, going to bed hungry at night and homeless. Now, living where we live, I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to forget that. Uber easy. Very easy. The fourth global giant is pandemic disease. Billions suffer from diseases, which, and this is inexcusable, that are preventable. Not that are not preventable, that are preventable. And we've known the cure for them for hundreds of years. So what's up here? Malaria is preventable and treatable. The number one cause of death in children in the world is diarrheal diseases. We can prevent that. Pneumonia, TB. How about HIV AIDS? And don't give me this, oh, it's a, it's, a gay, it's a gay deal. It's not. Read the facts. Women and children are the greatest disadvantages in AIDS, uh, with AIDS and HIV. So just wipe that clean from your mind. That's the facts. Women and children are the victims of that. And that, I think, is inexcusable. Again, let me just give you a bit of a focus on that one alone because we're familiar with that. 71 million people have been infected with AIDS. 34 million have died. 3,000 people die from AIDS each day, most of them women and children. Today we have about 37 million people living with it. And in Africa alone, there's 15 million children. We think about that, but what about all the children that are orphaned, the ones that survive? Because mum and dad are both gone. The fifth global giant is illiteracy. Billions of people have little or no education. And just under one billion in our world are still functionally illiterate. That means without the ability to read or write. Now, it doesn't matter whether you wire the world or the internet. If you can't read and write, that doesn't matter a brass razoo. It doesn't help at all. And the future looks bleak and hopeless with those with no skills and no training and no hope of it ever changing. Now, countries 
often have had good intentions to help. There's a great book called When Helping Hurts. Good read if you're interested in this area. And people with good intentions pour into Africa alone. I'm just going to focus on one area. 50 billion US dollars a year into Africa. But the evidence shows that it's made the poor poorer and growth slower. And it's worse. In fact, Wall Street Journal says that. You got the next slide there? Here it is. Uh, Ashley, can you back to the other one before that, please? Thanks. Over the past 60 years, at least one trillion, that's a stack of cash, of development-related aid has been transferred from the rich countries to Africa. Yet, the real per capita income today is lower than it was in the 70s. What the heck? And where are we? Uh, 350 million people live on less than a dollar a day, and that's doubled. Next slide, please. Here's the problem, what we said in the middle. Spiritual emptiness leads to self-serving leaders, which points to, again, Wall Street Journal. The most obvious criticism of its aid is its links to rampant corruption. Rampant corruption. Now, the reality is, these problems, when you take all five, are so big that no government or no business has ever been able to solve these. But there is one group that in the world that is big enough to tackle some of these problems that God wants to use the church to be salt and light, and it is the church. There are millions upon millions upon millions of churches. Even let's take to New Zealand. Let's just take to New Zealand. Today, 700,000 Kiwis will go to church. You go, okay, what does that mean? For you sports buffs, let me put that in perspective. If you took Eden Park, which holds 50,000 people, Victor Arena, let's throw them for good boot, that's only a miserable 12, Waikato, 36,500, Westpac Stadium, 36,000 as well, North Harbour, 25,000, AMI Stadium, and Forsyth Bar Stadium, that's only about a total of 208,000. So basically, we could fill that three times over. If every one of those stadiums was jammed to capacity, we could fill it three times over with the people that just show up for church on Sunday morning. And they show up every week. That's just in New Zealand. The church is meant to be a force for good, not just consuming. God wants his people to move from consumers to contributors. Now, my question is this. First of all, let me make a point. Nothing comes close to the size of the church anywhere in the world. Nothing. Do you think God might expect you to do something about a tiny sliver of these problems? Or, question, do you think God says you're excused? Do you feel any sense of responsibility as ambassadors of Christ, if you're a Christian today, to any of the things that, was, that grieved Jesus' heart and grieved the Father's heart. Because an ambassador represents the interests of his king. 
and the organizers has all her time and resources and actual life of service around that. See, two weeks ago, I talked about a message that you were put on earth to make a difference with your life. That there is a reason and there is a purpose for your life. But here's the catch. You and I are not going to be here very long. If we get 80 years, that's good. But it's short. The Bible calls it a blink of the eye compared to the trillions of years we will spend in eternity. So whatever you, God, wants you to use your life for, get on with it now. Like a person I was heard of last night. In a few days, their life completely changed. None of us expect things. And that's just a fact. The point is, the Bible says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never do anything. Oh, if I wait till the kids, you know, settle down. They're onto their homework properly. <laughs> till they're under control. Or I'll wait till my kids are out of home. Or I'll wait till I'm retired. Don't ever fall for that line. The Bible says if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never do anything. And unfortunately, I know a lot of people who've had that, had that attitude and have missed out. You only get it for a very short... Start with the moments you've got now, today, this week. So, I want to quickly talk about the church's advantage in tackling these problems. Number one, very quickly. One, we have the largest participation. Most people have no idea how big Christianity really is. 2.1 billion people and rising rapidly as China accelerates and the growth of Christianity there is phenomenal. I was with a hundred pastors not long ago learning firsthand what's going on in the ground in there and in Russia. Amazing. A third of the world. Now it says this, through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches like we are today, this all extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. This is a plan of God and his plan is that the church will go from strength to strength until he comes back for his bride. That's the big picture. Don't lose focus of that. Don't lose sight of that. The church is bigger than any nation, miles bigger than India, miles bigger than China. The Lord has a force on this earth for good. It's the largest force. Nothing comes even close. Second, we've got the widest distribution. The Bible says all over the world, that's a very big place, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. That is the truth. That scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. In millions of villages all around the church, where there is no post office, there's no school, and there's no clinic, no grocery store, there is a church. In almost every nook and cranny of this planet, there is a church. There's way more churches than there are McDonald's or Subways. It is actually the largest network under his head in the world. Nothing holds a candle to it. Wall Street Journal again. You can tell what I read. It says this. What are the lessons we should be learning from disasters like 
in this case, Hurricane Katrina. This is them. Hard-nosed business journal. Top of his lungs, what are the lessons we should learn from disasters like this? Quote, linking the church to church, linking church to church, proves quicker and more effective than moving through governments in disaster situations. Wall Street Journal recognizes that. Nothing we could hold a candle to, government or business, did better than the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Number three. The church, why is it so good? Why is it so well positioned? Because it's got the longest continuation. Important. The longest continuation. The church has been around for almost 2,000 years. Now, that's not exactly a fly-by-night operation. Right? In spite of dictators, in spite of wars that have tried to destroy it and persecute it and scoff at it, the church is bigger than ever and still growing and picking up speed. You know what that is? I'm excited about that because the Lord's coming back. That's why it's doing this. Why has it even survived? Because it's God's. This is not man-made. This is God's. And it's indestructible. Beats the heck out of IBM or Kodak. Who? Who are Kodak anymore? Fly-by-nighters compared to the church. The Bible calls it an unshakable kingdom. Jesus says this in Matthew 16. I, the God of the universe, will build my church. Declaration of intent. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That tells you something. It's going to last. Because the God of the universe is behind it. Now, I'm not a predictor of the future. I'm no prophet, but I will tell you this. If human beings, and Jesus tarries, and we don't get after, I'll come to that in a second, but if human beings are still on this planet in a thousand years, there probably won't be a New Zealand. Why? Because no government and no empire lasts forever. Because they are man-made. But I will tell you this, that the church will still be here. Because the Bible says the church was created to last for eternity. Now think about this. She will even outlast the universe. That's why we have such a high value of the bride, the body of Christ. Number four. Another reason why the church is well positioned to tackle these problems is it has the fastest expansion. It grows faster than anything else. Governments or businesses. About 60,000 people are coming to Christ each day. Latest figures. 60,000 people. Awesome. I know of a province in a place I cannot name that over a period of three years, started 60,000 new house churches, because that's only where they can meet, which clocked up, and I met the guy who did this, who was ahead of this area, one million new believers. God's spirit is at work. The Bible says, just as it says in Acts 6.1, we're seeing here, the believers rapidly multiplied. Again, Acts 16.5, the churches grew daily in numbers. The church has, number five, the highest motivation. What's our motivation? To make a difference. The motivation is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that important? Because love never gives up. 
And why do we do that? What we do? Because it's not to make money, not to make a name for ourselves. Jesus calls it the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, yeah, got it. I'm glad somebody's on it. Number six, the, the church has the strongest authorization. This is not, what do I mean by that? Well, here's the deal. God has authorized you. He's authorized you and the church to address these issues in the world. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, so why? Why? What should I do with that? Go make disciples of all nations. And surely I am with you always. Oh, that's great. I like that because with authority comes power. Notice that. They're never separated. With authority comes power. Management's figured that out. Management's broken. If you have a, oh, oh, I'm this, sorry. With God's power working in us, the, the Bible says, God can do much more than anything we ask or even imagine. And I can imagine a lot. To Him be the glory in the church. So God wants His church to shine. So He gets the credit. The Bible says also in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, speaking about Christians. Let your light shine before men. This is not, this is not, not letting the right hand and the left hand. Some people get very confused about this. Notice this verse. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's the intention. Number seven, it's the simplest administration. What's the administration of the church? Well, I can tell you in this church, if you want to know an organizational chart of New Hope, I can tell you in one phrase. Here it is. Everyone's a minister. Everyone's a minister. That's it. You got an idea? Get after it. Here it says here, each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts. Everybody in this room who calls himself a Christian has been blessed with some gift. Use it. Use it, don't sit on it, don't stuff it, don't stick it under a bushel. Use it. In the service of others. You serve God by serving others. Some people want a spiritual. So I love this here. He finishes, Peter. So use your gift well. I've got some gifts that you don't have, and you've got some gifts that I don't have. Whatever your gift is, use it well. That's a message. Some of you need to hear that from the Spirit today. May he impress something upon your hearts, whatever area it is. Now, there is no bureaucracy. There is no hierarchy. If you've got an idea, go for it. Not only do we have the largest participation, the widest distribution, the longest continuation, the fastest expansion, the highest motivation, the strongest authorization, the simplest administration, but this is a good one, the greatest conclusion. What does that mean? Well, this is a good part. We all, you know something. You know what it is? We win. We already know how history's going to end. Read the end of the book. The good news, careful about this one, about God's kingdom will, circle that word will, will. The good news will be preached, next word, all, in all 
of the world, to every nation. The three key words there, will, all, and every. Then what does it say? It says, the good news will be preached. Another version, uh, another part says, um, into, in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. Now, if that's true, for the end to come, we need to get about the business. Now, we can kick the can down the road and say, ah, not my responsibility. I'm going to give that to Karen and Ash and, you know, the younger kids. We'll give it to their generation. They're going to solve that problem. Miss Mandy. Or we can take that seriously as well, and we can do everything we can to move that ball down that road whilst we have breath. But the point is, is the good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world to every nation. Then the end will come. It is inevitable. It is unavoidable because God is in control. Now in light of all these eight advantages, what do you think would happen if God's people prayed against these giants? They were prepared to make a difference and they attacked some of these giants in faith. And so we look at the problems and go, well, boy, they are major problems in the world. How the heck can we solve those? Then we looked at the, the eight advantages that the church has. And we look at the size and the scope and the mandate of what Jesus said the church is to do. And over the next few weeks, we're going to ta- talk about how you, each of us can have a small role in doing something. In just terms of fulfilling our role personally, locally, and possibly even globally. So very quickly, as we wrap this up. The peace plan offers a solution to these five global giants. The global giant of spiritual emptiness is to plant churches that promote reconciliation this way and that way. This way first, priority, and that way. Second, the antidote to, spirit, uh, to egocentric leaders are to equip servant leaders. It's not about them. First line in the purpose-driven life, it's not about you. Thirdly, extreme poverty is a problem. What we're to do is we tell to assist the least and the li- uh, the lost and the least and the, the least of these. We need to help there by assisting the poor, but there's a way to do that that doesn't hurt them, that doesn't make them dependent upon us. Now, what about the pandemic disease? Well, clearly, if you read the Bible, a lot of Jesus' ministry was spent caring and working with people's health issues. We can care for the sick. I mean, crippling illiteracy. You can't read. You can't write. Not much hope there. But we need to help educate that next generation. Now, during this series, we're going to look at how you can make a personal difference, both personally, locally, and globally. Since the global peace plan um, and planting churches is probably the scariest of all of those thing topics, I want to just touch on that as we wrap this up today. Now many of you might say, well I can kind of see myself helping the poor or maybe caring for the sick in some way, but this thing about planting churches, I wouldn't have a clue where to start. Actually it's quite simple. Because some of you in this room have done this. Some of you are the foundation members at this church. How do you actually do it? And how is it done? I can tell you how it's done here, and I can tell you how it's done in many places like in China and other places in the Middle East. What you typically do is you gather a small group. It's the first thing you do. 
Very simple. One, two, three. You may want to write that down. Gather a small group. We did it at New Hope. We started with eight people. How many people does it take to start a church? Well, Matthew 18 tells you this. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That's it. And where do you meet? Next thing, well, where do you meet? Well, anywhere. We meet in the home. In fact, remember this. This will help you. The church is not the steeple. It is not the steeple. If we do it, it's the people. (laughs) The church is not the steeple. It's the people. And from the first 300 years of the church, you know they didn't even have buildings. Nothing at all. That's from Jesus Christ to about 300 AD. They always met in homes. In fact, here's a classic example here. Romans 6.5. Give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. See, meets in their home. And did you know that's true today? There are more churches around the world that don't have buildings than do. And by the way, can I just ask a show of hands? How many of you have ever hosted a small group? Can I see your hands, please? Could you please just stand up a second? Please just stand up right now. If you've ever hosted a small group, would you stand up? Are you all up? Top, 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 top. Okay, everybody else, I want you to put your hands together, please, and thank these guys, okay? Thank you. Now, why I said that is this. If you've, ever plan- if you've ever hosted a small group, you have effectively done what it takes to plan a church. Don't make it that hard. That's what it takes. You don't have to have another building. And by the way, when you get to heaven, if, metaphorically speaking, if there's a queue and, and, and St. Peter says to you, what did you do? Just tell him that you are a small group leader and say, you're a church planter? You're in. You get a pride your queue. <laughs> okay, that's what you'll get there. Number two, so you start with a small group and then you share your story and the good news. The most powerful message in the world is a personal testimony. You are an authority. Always start with your own story. I mean, for example, if there's a skeptic sitting here today in the audience, and I get up and speak, I think, ah, he's supposed to say that. He's a paid salesman, as it were. But if you come up here and you share your story and you are the satisfied customer and your testimony has got greater authority, who has more credibility? That's why you're actually more effective than the pastor. Because some people will say, oh, well, the pastor's paid to be good. You're good for nothing. (laughs) Some of you are still awake here. (laughs) David put it this way about telling your story. Psalm 66 verse 16. Come and listen. And I will tell you what he's done. And I've noticed something in Jesus' ministry. For Andrew, he said, come and see. He starts you there. And by the time you get over here, You've grown, and you're saying, come and die. That is a journey of discipleship. Less of me, more of him. Less of my interests, more of his. Less thinking about how I'm going to be okay. How much time do I spend thinking about his kingdom's going to be okay? His people. Then you share the good news. When you say, come and listen, that verse says, well, you may say, well, I know I'm a Christian, but I'm not so sure whether I could explain the whole deal to anybody else. So that's okay. If you can't do that, you can learn to explain it. And you can learn that by taking class 401. And there the class will teach you how to explain what it means to be a Christian in about three minutes. 
That's all it takes. Not one long, whacking great thing. You can do it. So suggestion, take class 101. Now, one other thing I want to just put in your mind, because this may come into be a useful tool in your toolbox in the years ahead. One of the ways which you can share the good news with friends locally or even in a distant village is to use the Jesus film. Anybody heard of that? Wow. It is what it is, the Guinness Book of Records say it is the most translated film in history. It's not Titanic, not Star Wars. In fact, it's been watched. Uh, it's it's in, actually in 1,404 languages. This is up to date as of last month. Over billion, billions of people have watched it, and over 200 million have come to Christ through it. By the way, this is exciting to me, 700,000 churches have been planted using this film. And you can check it out. I highly recommend you at least look at that tool. Clearly God has used that more than I know of anything else, that one tool there. Thirdly, when you're planting a church overseas or even locally or even, yeah, or even locally, you need to obviously provide Bibles to help people grow. The Bible says continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we think we've got all kinds of resources we need to start a church. No, you need a Bible and willing workers. Jesus said in uh, Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful. Now, ooh, have you ever had people like that, Martin? At work say, oh, we're, we're, there's no sales out there. You know, market's really tough, really tough. Jesus says here, the harvest is plentiful. Does Jesus lie? No, he doesn't. But the laborers are few. He says, that's the problem. The laborers are few. Therefore, do something about it. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. And guess what? He might call you. And then, so that's the laborers, and then the scriptures. Using the scriptures, that's the Bible, the person who serves God will be capable of having all that is needed to do every good work. Remember, the fact is there was no church buildings for 300 years. In fact, do you know this? There were no personal Bibles until 1456 when a man called... Thank you. Gutenberg invented the printing press. And the, thing, the reason why he designed it was to print Bibles. Bibles. So until 1465, there were no personal Bibles. They used to be actually chained to the pulpit, the copies that there were. So you didn't have one in your home. Some of you got three or four or five or six Bibles at home. So God wants us to be co-laborers with his Holy Spirit, to build up his church family around the world, his body and, and his bride, until he comes back to receive her to himself. We need to be about the king's business. Last verse. The one who plants... And the one who waters will work as a team with the same purpose. Those purposes are the same as the master had. Yet they will be rewarded individually. Notice this. You will be rewarded individually according to their own, there's a word there, hard work. (laughs) Sometimes some Christians have got some woolly notion that they can earn money without hard work. You can get about the kingdom, kingdom's business without hard work. It takes work and effort. There it is there. But we work together as partners who belong to God and His Holy Spirit superintends. 
So after you join God's family, God invites you to start sharing his good, his good news with somebody else. Now you're going to be in heaven because somebody cared to share with you. Cared enough. Will you care enough to tell somebody else? You see, C.S. Lewis said, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. If it's a lie, forget it. Walk away. Exit. Don't waste your time. But just be careful because if you, get, you don't want to get to the last day and go, whoops, I got that one wrong. But if it's true, it deserves all that you've got. Not a moderate, lukewarm response. So after you join God's family, what's your, a couple of quick thoughts. What's your next step? If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Because apart from the Bible, other believers will help you grow. Sign up for, maybe, maybe you, so if you're not in a small group, get along to one. Number two, sign up for your next class. What's the next class for you? 301, 201, 401? Or are you now able to teach those classes? Or maybe encourage your small group to find the local peace project, much like the youth did last night. They got after it. So to answer the question, why are we going to do the Jesus plan, the peace plan? Some people have asked that. Why don't we just sit here and be a self-centered, selfish church and think about ourselves and talk about how stressed and busy we are all the time and feed me, feed me and, and meet my needs and just worry about my needs. Well, I'll tell you why, because we're created to help each other. We live such comfortable lives, it's easy to forget. Secondly, because Jesus Christ is the only hope of this world. Not business, not government, Jesus Christ. And three, because God is up to something new in the 21st century and he wants you to be a part of it. Look at the nations. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if, I were told, even if you were told. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so humbled and honoured and awed that you would call us to be part of your plan for history. Thank you for saving us and allowing us to be part of that plan. Lord, we admit that some of the details are a bit sketchy or a bit, we're actually a bit concerned or afraid. But we know that where you call, you enable. And clearly, you've called us. Today we're saying yes, because we want to bear your name with our friends, with our family, our neighbours, our jobs, and our community, and even around the world. Lord, would you help us to know your power and your presence, your protection and your peace, as we focus on the lost and the least. We pray this in your powerful name. And everybody said... Amen.